Welcome to Anyone Can Play Guitar, a podcast where we try to learn every Radiohead song on guitar in order. I'm Nick Kendallsperger. And I'm Austin Diaz. plan here is that we're going to go through all of the Radiohead catalog in chronological order, learning each song on guitar. To prove we learned it, instead of playing the Radiohead versions of the songs, we're going to play the ones we recorded on GarageBand. Sometimes very poorly, but we're going to do it. Right, Austin? We have to prove it, and please keep in mind that the podcast is Anyone Can Play Guitar, Not Anyone Can Sing Like Tom York. (laughs) We're going to try, but man, it's really hard to sing like Tom York. Yeah, we're going to make our best effort, right? Right, and I mean, sometimes the song will sound completely different, except the notes will be there because we don't have (laughs) access to studio equipment and Nigel Godrich. That's right. So we're setting ourselves up for potential humiliation, but I think it could be very interesting, and it'll make us actually dig into every part of the song. And for help with that, we're going to use the Radiohead Song Chordbook, the Faber edition, so we think that this is official. Anything we can't learn on there, we're going to sort of look up on an ultimate guitar or other tab sites. I prefer Songster. Songster. Ooh, I don't know that one. It's a good site, too. Okay, that's good. So we're doing this podcast, even though we're not even in the same continent right now. Where are you, Nick? I am in Chicago, Illinois. I work at a newspaper, the Chicago Tribune, in the food department, which makes me wholly unqualified for all of this, but I'm very excited. And where are you, Austin? I am in Basel, Switzerland. Okay. I'm a Latin teacher and an English teacher. Latin I teach in German, English I teach in English with a lot of German. Now, Austin, your last name is Diaz. You are Mexican-American. Born in Texas. Raised in Kentucky. Raised somehow in Kentucky. (laughs) And now you're in Switzerland teaching Latin in German Austin's one of one of the most brilliant people I've ever met, and we actually, I've known you for 20 years, I think, at this point. We met on a college trip, on a flight to a college trip from Louisville to Chicago. That's right. I thought I was playing a lot of guitar at the time, and I was trying to get a guitar scholarship, which did not go very well. And you noticed that I was carrying a guitar in the airport, and so you just came up to me, and I think within 30 seconds we were talking about Radiohead. Actually, we didn't end up going to that school up in Chicago, but we ended up going to DePaul University. And based on our mutual admiration of Radiohead, decided uh, we'll be fine roommates (laughs) because we both love Radiohead. What we did learn, though, when we were college freshman roommates is that while we love Radiohead, our other musical interests don't always align. You kept playing this, like, shoegaze stuff. (laughs) I think it was like something with Valentine. Yeah, My Bloody Valentine. I played a lot of Smashing Pumpkins. And Austin is never afraid to tell you exactly what he thinks of a song. I believe you dismissed the Rolling Stones' entire catalog one time, and I got very offended. <laughs> you took it personal. I did take it personally. <laughs> I can't believe you still think that. I do still think that. So I find um, Austin infuriating to talk to sometimes, but he always backs up everything he says and makes me think about how I feel about the song. Honestly, like we don't even agree on all the Radiohead songs. Well, I know what Radiohead songs are 
the best ones and you have other ideas. <laughs> See what I'm talking about? <laughs> I'm really learning this time. I've gotten all the Radiohead books and I'm going to learn everything I can so that my arguments are more persuasive than Austin's. And I will just be over here being right. <laughs> So Radiohead started in the mid-80s, I guess. They were uh, they all went to the same school, or what we would call high school. And uh, they were called On a Friday because they would always practice on a Friday. But I think what you'll find in this podcast is we're not going to care too much about the history. This is not a Radiohead history podcast. No, there are so, other ones of those. <laughs> and they do it very well. So we're going to skip over <laughs> all of that stuff. And jump right to their first sort of real recording, which is the Drill EP, which is what we're going to talk about today. Which they actually recorded as on a Friday and then changed the name before it came out. That's right, yes, because their record label made them change their name. And uh, so they named Radiohead, as we, uh, as we all know, is uh, a song by the Talking Heads on an album I don't really like that much, which is interesting. I like the Talking Heads, but that album is not my favorite. Yeah, and that song, I listened to it for the first time, and I'm like, that song has nothing to do with the sound that they're putting out right now. No, and if you listen to, so we're not going to delve into the On the Friday catalog, but if you have listened to some of those songs, it's pretty amazing uh, how unlike anything they do later is. So they used to have like a saxophone section. They had Mm -hmm. three saxophones. Uh, They have a song called Happy Song that sounds like straight up REM around shiny happy people time. And uh, so we're just going to focus on Radiohead. And the Drill EP is first. So it was actually recorded by Chris Hufford. And it was released in May 5th, 1992. The first song is Prove Yourself. So, Austin, what do you think about Prove Yourself? You know, I really like this song. And I liked this song when I first had Pablo Honey, and I didn't realize that it was the first single. It was this song that I thought I discovered in the back half of the album. And I liked that whole back half. And this song in particular, I found that I thought I'd discovered, and that it was a song that I liked and nobody else who... New Radiohead really listened to Prove Yourself. Obviously wrong. It was the first song they put out as a single. (laughs) Um, But I still claim it as mine. It's a very sort of singer-songwriter beginning, but I like that. And then I love the juxtaposition between that and then the chorus. Yeah, it's interesting. I remember when I first learned this song, and even when you look at some of the chords or the tabs online... Before I got the chord book, it's like they tell you just do A minor, C, right? And those are the chord voicings, but it actually it sounds really wrong once you learn that it's the suspended and the C major 7. And another thing that's really interesting with Radiohead, 
at the very beginning is that these suspended and major seven chords are actually very important to how the song works. Um, oh, I did, oh, explain. How do you, how do you reckon that? Well, I did a really deep dive on these different chord forms because I realized I just sort of like learned them and I thought, okay, this is like where they take the finger away. This is where they put an extra finger in. This is just people being lazy and not really playing an A chord. I don't know what I thought. <laughs> I just didn't, you know, I didn't really delve into chord theory. Mm-hmm. But if you look at both of these chords, um, the A suspended 2 and the C major 7, they're open ringing chords but at the same time there's this dissonance so like when you remove um the third which is what means to be to suspend a two it creates dissonance and gives you this sort of feeling of unresolved um or almost lost like the beatles really used this chord on a long and winding road Mm. um and so at the end of all of the verse changes they're going into um suspended chords and i think even ian mcdonald in his book talks about how there's like these weeping suspended chords in this song and you're talking about a revolution in the head which is one of my absolute favorite exactly. books on the beatles i had to go back and look at it this week yeah um so look at that entry on a long and winding road he talks about how they use these suspended chords to create a sense of dissonance and unresolved emotion and the c major chord c major seven chord these chords are always used to build up to a resolution. Hmm. Um, and so, like, famously, probably for us, is that the 1979 by the Smashing Pumpkins starts with an E major 7 before resolving into an E, right? And so you have, like, that... Oh, that's true. So... that goes that goes, like... Exactly. So it, like, it builds up this tension and this unresolution and then resolves it and that's what's Mm. so pleasing about that song yeah Um, i'm gonna be able to play any smashing pumpkin song on uh whenever you ask i can do it on demand i knew i knew that i knew that that's why i didn't (laughs) learn it i was like i mean i i looked at the chords but i was like nick nick knows this yes okay um so but with this song they basically in the chorus they layer two dissonant unresolved chords upon one another that open b string that creates the dissonance is the same for both chords and leaves them both unresolved it does feel totally out of the blue when the chorus comes in because those first chords are very basic sort of g and c sort of things going on yeah yeah and what's really interesting is the melody that they're singing are the notes that resolve the chords Wow. And Do you think they knew that when they did this? I you know they, I can't, I I think maybe Johnny did because like one of the most memorable lines, guitar lines in the song is that like in that last chorus, right? Mm-hmm. And that's also resolving the chords. So I think he knew what he was doing, and that's in both versions. That's in the EP version and the album version, where otherwise Johnny doesn't play the same thing. So I think there's a possibility that he knew what he was doing. So we should eventually get to the lyrical portion of the song, and I'm a little conflicted about it. So obviously I'm not saying that Tom York is sort of advocating for suicide, but I'm very confused about the prove yourself chorus. So 
he's basically saying, I'm better off dead. And then what does the prove yourself actually refer to? You know, I... I think when we're going to talk about lyrics, I think it's going to be a difference between intentionality and the result. Mm-hmm. I don't, for example, I don't know everything that Tom York has read. When I thought about these lyrics this week, because I've read, for example, Schopenhauer, I had that in my head where he basically, in his philosophy, says, um, it would have been better had we never been born or if we were dead, but since we are alive, we should. Um, prove our existence, which maps perfectly onto this song. It only so it it works if York had read Schopenhauer or some something like that. Oh, that's know. a great point. That line between what your intention is and how it's accepted by the audience or interpreted by the audience is always one that's going to change. But thing, but it, when you put something out there, I guess people can interpret it the way they they want to, or that's easiest for them. Yeah, but I guess it's also kind of freeing to sing something like I'm better off dead, even if you are not having the right mindset in your head. You know, you're not thinking about Schopenhauer and the will to live in your head when you're singing I'm better off dead. You know, it's Mm -hmm. still sort of cathartic in a certain Greek tragedy kind of way. Yeah, the only other thing, the issue I have with the song is is basically there are the, the three parts. Those three things play out in the first 30 seconds and then they just repeat. And my favorite Radiohead songs sort of transform or sort of go through different layers. And this is not that song. This is not a song that evolves. It just sort of, you know, you bring them back up again. Which is about as complex as any other sort of pop or alternative song at the time. I do, with the lyrics, what I find also interesting and thought a lot about this week is the difference between the first and the second verse, where you have this, you know, I can't afford to breathe in this town, so he's using poetic devices and hyperbole um, and, like, cathode ray instead of television. And so it's not necessarily obscure, but it's cloaked in poetics. Not very well. Right. Whereas the second verse is just... um, you know, I want to breathe, I want to learn, you know, I say I want it, but I don't know how, like, it's just very earnest, like, there's no dressing, it's just very open, and I I think you see Tom sort of toggle between these two poles, and they both get better as he goes on, but it's interesting that you have both of them in one song, in the first song that they have. So how do you feel about Prove Yourself? I think, I mean, I think we've talked about it. We've talked about it enough? Yeah. It is funny because this is, it's just not, when you start with OK Computer and then go backwards, it's, it is sort of weird when you get to a song like Prove Yourself, which, you're, which you can admire, but I, I would never, this would never make me want to start on a let's learn every single Radiohead song and spend years doing this. Right. Um, I- it could be a lot worse, don't get me wrong, but it's not like, holy cow, like Prove Yourself, this is it. Right. The next song on the EP is Stupid Car. Yes. It is the next song. I find it
This is the beginning of Tom York's infatuation with cars as evil, I guess we could say. He'll bring this subject up a number of times. So this is a very slow kind of um, ballady song almost, but it's about cars, which is already kind of interesting if you think about it. This isn't sort of a weepy little song. True, it's definitely a ballad. And but how do you feel about it, Austin? I can tell in your I don't voice. like this song. I didn't really spend that much time learning it because it's basically D chords with a G and an A thrown in every once in a while. Um, and Yeah, it's basically just... And then a little bit of this in there, yeah. And they, I mean, he, he does that trick again, or he does that trick that I was talking about, where like it's the D, and then he goes to the D major seven, which begs for a resolution, and then just goes back to the D, right? And so it's like it's this sort of kind of cheap way to build tension that the song doesn't have. <laughs> it, there's not there's not much to it. It's hard to like spend too much time on this song because there's just not there's not much there. You know, this is, it's unusual for Radiohead because there are bands that just have three chord songs and they make it work. But Radiohead's Mm -hmm. not really, doesn't really do that. No, they don't. And I mean, the chorus, I have to say, like, if I I saw the title of this song and I remembered this song, um, even though I think I only had it because I had illegally downloaded it, um which is something we'll have to talk about at some point too. I think Radiohead also capitalized on the whole Napster, LimeWire sort of thing because you could all of a sudden get all of their B-sides. Right. Without and having they have to, a lot. Yeah, and they had a lot, and they had a lot of like bootleg recordings, and so it was always a game of, will this song be on the next album? Um, so I'd heard this song, uh, and I mean, the chorus I remembered immediately. I don't know why it sticks in my head. I kind of went over it a couple times, like why I would remember this chorus immediately. Um, I think just because his voice really has that sort of sailing quality already. Yeah, I mean, I I understand why people would not like this song. I always, I I don't hate it. I I feel like if I saw Tom perform this song by himself in a little room, like a coffee shop or something, I feel like I would be blown away because he is just an incredible singer. And he really latches on to the chorus at the end. And it's it's pretty beautiful what, what he's able to do. Yeah, I mean, but I think that only works if you didn't know it was Tom. Okay. And because, like, if you, like, saw Tom York in a small coffee shop playing the guitar, and you'd be like, okay, and... Now he's playing Stupid Car. There's so many songs that he could be singing. That's true. That's true. I'd be like, the Benz! Black Star! I I would feel a a bit of disappointment, yes. If he played, if I was in a coffee shop with Tom York and he played Stupid Car as one of his songs, yes, I would feel pretty bad. I would also shut up and listen to it, but... um, I'd be like, why the hell did he play that? Yeah. <laughs> is this song better than I think it is? <laughs> I don't think it is. I think this is, 
I'm pretty sure this is just Tom. But I no. will say it, it definitely, this, it, we'll get more into it in later angry car songs, but I do think this song infected me when I was younger and made me question cars and their ubi- ubiquity around where I grew up. So, I mean, I grew up in, in Southern Indiana where you had to drive to do anything. So there was no other option. So the idea that you could be against cars was weird. I was in Kentucky and had to drive 45 minutes to school every day and hated my car. I hated it. I Well, I also had a car. Well, what kind of f- car did you have? I had a Ford Explorer Sport, stick shift, um, 1994, four screen, um, broke a lot. Radiator, yeah. carburetor, brake pads. I got very good at fixing a car, but I never trusted it. I was like, I hate you. You're going to break down on me in the middle of the highway that I had to drive every day. But yes, I think that's enough discussion about stupid car. Yeah, definitely. So let's move on. So, the third song on the EP is You. All right, so You is really impressive. So this is a song that's actually the first song on Pablo Honey. This is a, the first recording of it. And I think the differences are pretty subtle between the EP and the album version. I was listening to it today, and the, the album version definitely seems uh, the, the guitars are just louder and more distorted. And yeah, they just, they're more comfortable with the song. It's a complicated song, and I think... Um... Maybe were the with the EP recorded, they were still sort of reaching, and then by the time they recorded it for Pablo Honey, they probably like, okay, we can play this with their eyes closed. Yeah, so I mean, this is a very intricate song. This is a song that is in six eight for some of the time, and then goes to five eight for a measure, and then just repeats that for the entirety of the whole song. So, I mean. That is so unusual for the time for rock music to do something like that. And especially with the riff, it took me forever to get that right. So the whole time I had to count it off in my head. So this is how it sounds. One, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, And it's impossible. I, I found it impossible to play on my acoustic so it is hard because you that's, that's off. what I was doing right now. Because I'm like up here doing it, you know. Um, right. It is a it, neat trick, though, how that works. I mean, like it sounds, on the one hand, it sounds really complicated. But on the other hand, like you're just using two fingers and strumming the, picking at the same three f- strings. Right. It's not, a compli- it's not a hard riff to play, but the timing makes it interesting. But what's so fascinating is that it doesn't sound crazy they make it sound they make it work i guess they're not just dropping a beat just to be complicated it really sounds cool yeah and it sort of stumbles into it makes that this sort of like stumbling loop to the song but i mean i guess a lot of bands would have maybe a uh, like a, a bridge that would have a weird time signature but to have it run all the way through i'm just thinking about bands that wouldn't be able to get through 30 seconds of this song 
Bush and, and Stone Temple Pilots. And, you know, the alternative rock at the time was pretty much 4-4. There are very few bands that were even mixing it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I I was trying to find another 6-8 song from this era, and I couldn't. I mean, you definitely have it from earlier eras. I mean, like 80s and 70s for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the 90s, I couldn't find another band that had a prominent song. And this, I, this is for them, a prominent song. They also opened. Yeah, it's their first song on their first album. And a lot of, a lot of the concerts that I found online, they also opened their concerts in this era with you. Yeah. And if you have seen the, the, on the Radiohead website, they have a video of Astoria in 1994 where they open with this song, and it's just the best version I've found. They yeah. are so excited about this song. Well, it's really it's fun to play, and it's so much fun to play that I like this song much more than when we started. Yes, it is, it's a guitar song. You can like the song, but then when you play it with guitar, you just find it's so much fun to follow and play along with them, especially. Yeah. Like to play along with the record because there's so many little parts. and. Um, so what I found interesting with the chord book that I hadn't noticed, maybe it was in the official Ultimate Guitar tabs, but also in the section one part, you know, you have like the E and then he pedals down to the E minor, right? Like, mm-hmm. and then goes up to that uh, C at nine. And then for some reason, like... The five eight, they just he just they just throw in like the D F sharp bass like. This is also something that they do a lot, where they just kind of throw in these quick chord changes, that I don't know if they're necessary. I like them because it makes it more challenging to play. Yes, it does. <laughs> but, Especially that five eight part with the G and the D F sharp. Yeah. Um, the whole time in my head, I'm just going. One two three four five one two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. But yeah, I like it uh, when it goes uh, the. But you're actually supposed to play also like with the ringing bottom two strings, right? Like. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. I yeah, like that. It's, it's actually like, yeah, it's one of the, again, like with the chorus from Prove Yourself, like when you play it, how they at least have approved of playing it, you have that. You know, and then, yeah, it's really important that you have that it's actually these major seven or minor seven and then a major seven chord, which again, I think is Johnny's influence. He probably was like, open it up. <laughs> We don't, we don't know for sure, but yes, that, that probably, it does sound, I mean, this, this is, is a, a really complicated, that, especially that E to E minor, and um, that's not a stock chord change sequence. No. But I guess it's not much of a song. I have, a, I have some reservations about this song still, but there's not a chorus or, and you can't, really can't play this song alone by yourself. Or it sounds a little weird. <laughs> well, there's no guitar part for some of it, too. So you're just sitting there singing by yourself and patting your guitar. But 
Yeah, I watched. Which the is guys. fine if that's what you want to do. That's fine. No, no I mean, I watched the guy, uh, you know, do his U cover on YouTube, and I mean, he just played the lead part, which meant he was just sitting there for a long time. <laughs> just but uh, it was still his cover version. Right. Yeah. Totally. Um, you know, it was helpful for me to figure out like the different lead parts, like the. Yeah, you know, like, which is fun. Yeah, it's a super fun song. And I think you mentioned this before. It's really a plant the flag song, like, we can do this. This is what we are capable of. And then we're going to go either <laughs> into the next song of the EP, uh, which is Thinking About You, or the next song of the album, which is Creep, which is like, they're both transitions are sort of jarring. I don't know how I, I don't know how else you would sequence this song. Right. Um, it sticks out wherever you put it. Right. And they have three guitars going. I wish there was, I guess I wish some of their parts were more distinctive. They'll get extremely good at texture soon, but this seems more like two of the guitarists are playing basically the same thing. Yeah, that's true. Actually, I didn't think about that. I just... But so then when you listen to it on headphones, the guitars just are kind of squashed together. But this is us bringing our OK Computer realizations to them before they have time. It's not fair to them. <laughs> no, no. Do you know what I mean? We're, we're expecting OK Computer from you know, this first EP, which is um, still really impressive. I mean, this is still more impressive than so much more of the alternative rock at the time. And I've been listening to a lot of it to get prepared for this, like uh, Gin Blossoms and uh, Soul Asylum and all those great bands from 1992 and 3. Yeah. Yeah. There's something sort of jazzy about this song and that the complication of the time signature and the refusal to have a chorus in a recognizable way. But yeah, it is, it is still, it's, it's very impressive. Yeah. So I, we can agree that we like this song mainly because of the guitar element. Yes. I think we can both agree that this is the best song we've yet. Yeah. In the first in the first episode of the three songs, this is number one. But it's I think it's telling that we've spent this entire time and we haven't said anything about the lyrics. That is true. Why is that? You know what? I mean, like there's not too many of them on the First of all. And it's pretty generic. Yeah, generic, but also weird. Like, why should I believe myself, not you? It's sort of an inversion, right? Usually, wouldn't you expect, like, why should I believe you and not myself? But the, the line that you are the sun and moon and stars. The first line is really sort of very different from the other... Three lines. There's only three other lines in the whole song. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's true. So I think what we're missing from you, this is where I'm going to diagnose it, is uh, this is a great band cut, but maybe Tom York's personality or singing style isn't at the forefront. No, he does, especially on the album version, have that you know signature Tom York wail. At the end, yeah. At the end, which is impressive um, on the album, but then... I mean, he's just an incredible singer <laughs> i mean we're going to talk about this a lot in the future too but it's it's really important to, to state up front how 
astonishing he was, even at the beginning. Right, and that even in a podcast where we're mainly going to talk about guitar, it's impossible not to talk about his singing in conjunction with the guitar playing, because... Correct. But we're neither of us is going to try to sing like him. Not yet. Not yet. So... <laughs> This is a guitar podcast, just to let you know again. Right. But yeah, I think that's enough about you. I'm I'm happy with that. Me too. Now it's time, Austin. Now we you know what time it to. is. It's thinking about you. And not only is it thinking about you, it's thinking about you, the drill EP version. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm not, uh, I'm not a Pablo Honey hater. Um, no, you're not. You you like it more than most people. I no, would say, I mean right? I. You know I. I don't think I would have liked it if I come at it the other direction. I probably wouldn't have liked it as much. But because I knew it was Radiohead, because I knew where Radiohead was going, it was f- somehow really nice, especially when I was a teenager, to go back to this sort of simpler Radiohead that I could like understand better than. Okay, computer. I liked Okay Computer, and I didn't quite understand it. I don't think I do. We'll talk about that when we get there. Pablo Honey is very digestible, and you still have Tom York's wonderful voice. You have lots of Johnny's like crazy guitar solos. Selway is just always solid. And Colin on the bass is all also a god. Um, and I don't, at some point, god. we're gonna have Oof. to talk about um, the bass lines. You know, a lot of those elements are still there, and especially when you know where they're going, you're like, you could really appreciate it. You know, it's listening, it's like reading Nabokov's first book or like Spielberg's first movie or something like that. Like, you know it's going to get better, and you can just appreciate where they started. Oh, that's interesting. All this being said, this song, I hated it, right? On the album, I hated it. I, I was just like, nope, next, next. Like, I don't think I ever really listened through through the whole thing. Uh huh. And so then we get to this, the drill EP version. <laughs> and I didn't know this song could get worse. <laughs> um, this is so bad. I, uh, I, I gotta say up front, I do not hate thinking about you on the album quite as much as you do. The drill EP version is just really bad. I don't I really don't know what they were thinking here. It sounds I don't even know how it what do you what is this influenced by? I was trying to I mean there's definitely there's an influence and I feel like I've heard this sort of song by other bands but I couldn't track them down. You know, I wonder if it wasn't um well received live when they were an unknown quantity. Um the acoustic version. No, no, the this version. Okay. Um, cause I've been thinking about this and some of the other songs that we'll talk about later. There's, there's songs that I think that you play when you're playing in front of an audience and that's really your only existence as a band up until that point. Like you haven't recorded anything. People can't go and listen to you on the radio. And so it's just the songs that they're seeing live and they want something that sort of moves and it's sort of like jangly and you know, they can, that you, you don't have to do any sort of mental work to 
be like, this is a song that's moving fast. It's <laughs> true. If you and, just speed it up and make it really loud, then people are going to be okay. You know, a lot of a lot of bands, you have like these unnecessarily fast, loud songs on their f- mm-hmm. earlier work. Um, like the Kings of Leon uh, is a really good example of a band that was better when they were doing that as opposed to transitioning to you know, studio work, in my That's opinion. True. You know, I their like first albums, first. their first album is amazing. And then whatever happened yeah, to them. Whereas Radiohead, I think, is the opposite. Okay, well, let's... So you don't even like the acoustic one no. that much? No, 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 no. I mean, like, like I said, the acoustic one is the one I skipped anyways. See, I I don't mind it uh, when, especially when it gets to C. Because that's a, a nice rise in the action, and then you get to this chord. That's a good one right there. And then it goes... Yeah. I, I think those are really pretty. And what are those chord names again? Let's look this they up. They are G major 7. And then they are G major 7 flat uh, with a B. Yeah. See, that's really nice. That's really good. I like that part. I will give the song those chords, but both of those chords <laughs> come up in much better Radiohead songs later. Um, okay. But so this is the beginning where he had to learn the core, you know, to to use them better later, right? Yeah. Yes. I guess what's bad, the lyrics are bad. These are bad lyrics. Yeah, I mean there 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 will be future songs where I will maybe defend or like uh have more generous interpretations of York's lyrics. Mm-hmm. Um not with these. I mean, there's no, just, these, there's just, there's not a, there's not a generous interpretation of these lyrics. No, can't they're say, really personal and bratty and self-pitying, self-pitying, but narcissistic the word, yeah. at the same time. He's trying to win the affection, basically, of someone who's not giving him anything in return. Basically, right. who and might so, be famous, who might be famous and might or not. Or it might be just someone who's very popular. But her life is similarly empty, as the way he describes it. Yeah. Right. And then he talks about masturbating. Just sort of drops that in there. Right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to hold that against him. No, no, I mean, it's not. Song. It just seems it's not, it's not something, it's not a revealing aspect of the song. It feels very... I, yeah, I think he thought... It was more clever than it, it is, or like because it was, it's ambiguous enough. He thought maybe. Well, no, I think he thought that it was like maybe really revealing. Oh my god! So <laughs> in high school, okay. So about these lyrics in high school, for some reason, I decided to play this song at church, 
And I can't get over how funny that is now when looking back. But I never played any religious music when I was at church. I always played songs I just liked. Yeah. Um, like, I, I played Smashing Pumpkin songs in church and Radiohead songs, which is hilarious now. But there was a church concert, and I played this song because I thought it was pretty. And then I realized that I should change all the lyrics. <laughs> And so I had to change. <laughs> I don't even think I caught the 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 playing with myself part. I just thought I should be more about God to be oh at God. church. So there's a recording somewhere of me playing this, this song. Is, I, I really need you to track this down. <laughs> I you have to track this down. I there's need, some VHS tape somewhere. I that, need to yes. hear it. This would be my favorite version of the song. I know. But so when I was in high school, apparently this was my favorite song on Pablo Honey. Hilarious. Why do you think they needed this song? Do you think they heard something in it? Or what do you think? I keep asking myself that because, you know, there has to be some sort of germ or like little part of the song that spoke to them or at least to one of them to have two different versions on two different recordings that they published. And I can't find it. Other than those chords that you point out, they're like, mm-hmm. oh, this is interesting in the chorus. Yeah. Um, I can't find, I don't know, the lyrics, but I guess I read somewhere that it's Tom's mom's favorite song. It sounds a little bit like the Beatles, if the Beatles weren't good. I, I get the, the, the Beatles thing a, a little bit. So um, You've Got to Hide Your Love Away has a few of the same chords and the sort of descending chord progression that goes... Uh, I can hear that. I, I don't know. I, I have nothing that, I can, that can justify the Drill EP version. I have nothing. For the Pablo Honey version... They don't really have an acoustic song on the album besides this one. That's such a crucial part of their identity on the bends. Right. And so it's weird that Pablo Honey doesn't have that. So I think that's why they held on to this song. That's my, that's my thought. Huh. That's true. I mean, that show um, in Astoria that they have on their website... There's only one time in the whole show that Tom pulls out an acoustic guitar and it's fake plastic trees. And then he more or less apologizes to the audience and says, looks like you're falling asleep. Let's wake you up. <laughs> and I was, I'm like, no! <laughs> <laughs> High and dry! <laughs> I, I think they had to get more confident in themselves that people would pay attention to their slower songs, maybe. They had to get. They had to have more trust with their audience, because a lot of of Pablo Honey is just like let's wake these guys up, sort of thing. But I think that's enough about thinking about you. I think. Oh, for sure, probably too <laughs> think, much. Probably and we didn't even really talk about the song for most of the conversation. No, we didn't. It's a tough one. Yeah, when you the yeah. Drill EP version, especially man. So the next show would be Creep. I'm sure people would have a version of that. Yeah. How do you um, stop whispering? Stop whispering, and anyone can play guitar. We named our podcast after this song. Right. So we obviously love it. 
We obviously do, right, Austin? Well, I do. <laughs> I cannot wait. Me neither. So next next time we're gonna have some much bigger songs, but we had to start somewhere. And uh, you know, the Beatles started with uh, "Love Me Do," so it'll it'll ramp up. You know, it's it's hard to start out. I guess some bands start off with their best album, but that just was not, that was not Radiohead. I think that's a good thing too. Oh yes. I think that you'll, you'll be able to see, hopefully through this, we'll be able to see a progression. I think they always tried to do something musically interesting or different to, to push themselves forward. And they were also such a great band. They're all such talented people that they, each of the different players was able to progress too as they went along. Yeah, they didn't a, have a weak link. Right, to adapt. They all adapted as they moved forward and stuck together, which is actually quite astounding. I mean, they've it is been, astounding. They've They're been still... almost a band as long as we've, almost as long as I've been alive, they've been a band. All the songs on the Anyone Can Play Guitar podcast are by Radiohead and performed by Nick Kendallsperger and Austin Diaz.